This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got Hector Bremner. He is city councillor and he's also running to be the mayoral candidate for MPA. That's right. And that is uh, happening in late May. So we'll find out very soon if he's going to be running for mayor. Uh, who better to run for I'm mayor than Hector Bremner? I'm super excited about Hector Bremner. Absolutely. And there's a ton of hype around him, but it's it's warranted. No kidding. I mean, so he he was voted in uh, last year in a by-election, right? And it was one of the few races uh, everyone watched. And uh, he's seen as kind of a as a guy with a big ideas on supply and on really changing the face of the city. Super passionate, uh, too. And, and he's very yeah. And he's got an understanding, a really deep understanding of these issues. So it's a it's a fantastic conversation. Absolutely. And we went a little bit long, but uh, you know what? It's it's it was worth it. It was a it was a great conversation. Tons of great ideas, and you really get a, a really comprehensive understanding of what's going on in the politics scene, political scene in Vancouver, and also just uh, it's kind of the history of the city and 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 ideas moving forward. It's, yeah, it's great. And, well, yeah, the problem we face and, and how to fix them. Absolutely. Um, but before we get to our interview with Hector, Matt, what else do we got? We got 147 reviews on iTunes. <laughs> oh, we're, nice. we're getting really close to 150. Absolutely. And we really appreciate every review. We yeah. read them all. And uh, it's seriously the best compliment that you can give us other than getting in touch. That's and sure. uh, it really helps us grow this podcast, which is great. And we, uh, again, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, Matt, but this is, today's interview is a, quite a long interview. Let's just uh, get right to it. Cut to the chase. You'll enjoy this one, guys. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Hector Bremner, city councillor and seeking the nomination for mayoral candidate for MPA. How are you doing, Hector? Very good, sir. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for taking the time today, Hector. So, Hector... Yeah, thank you to you both. So, Hector, can you maybe start by telling us just a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Uh, so, currently, I'm a Vancouver City Councillor. I won a by-election last year on our Let's Fix Housing message. And uh, prior to that, or still uh, have a, a private sector role as uh, Vice President of uh, Public Affairs for communications company in Vancouver. And uh, prior to that, I, I worked in the provincial government where I was the assistant to the Minister of International Trade and uh, the deputy premier responsible for housing. And uh, so I'm married and I have two kids. We live downtown and um, really excited 
to be in this race and uh, having um, uh, an ability to contribute to our city. Fantastic. So, Hector, why why NPA? It's a good question. Uh, you know, when we got involved with the party, there were basically 78 members of the party. The party had, um, you know, unfortunately atrophied quite a bit. And, um, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, based on the last four years, you know, it hasn't been really a clear message. And, you know, we're not really sure where you guys stand. And, you know, I looked at it and, uh, and talked with a bunch of friends and, you know, I, I wasn't... Um, looking at running myself, we were, we were actually talking amongst each other, just saying, you know, we're really concerned about the state of the city and what's the best way forward. And some people were talking about starting a new party. And, you know, we, a lot of us were, you know, frustrated with the, um, all the noise, uh, you know, the blame game going on in the housing crisis, which we can, we can talk about later, but, you know, particularly around the politics, you know, we keep on getting folks that are, you know, personally ambitious and, you know, maybe they've had some, some success in other areas, but, you know, we're not really ready to lead. And so, and we all started talking about, you know, what are, what are we going to do next? And, and when it all came down to it, we said, well, the best years of the last 80 years have been the NPA ones. And we think that the party is worth reviving. And so we got involved. And, um, you know, we weren't really finding the leadership that we were looking for. So I ended up getting tapped, you know, pushed into this. And, and um, but I was really uh, just, you know, honored to be asked. And, and um, we won a nomination last year, won a by-election not long after. And uh, it's just been uh, an amazing experience. And so we're taking it further. People feel that we have more to do and, um, you know, like the leadership that we're providing and, and bringing the big tent back to the NPA, bringing liberals and conservatives together, people broad spectrum and people saying, look, you know, ideology is not going to get us anywhere. We're going to have to just take good ideas and bring people together and just get the job done and let's stop stop playing politics and just do the job. And so uh, that's why NPA, we, we, uh, we looked at it, we felt that, you know, we need to fix our party and then fix our city. So Hector, we recently spoke with Sam Sullivan and he, he mentioned, it just struck me because he was saying, you know, there's this real groundswell of angry young men in the city uh, right now, <laughs> largely in relation to housing. And we've had guys like Adrian Crook on before. Do you see yourself as part of this kind of new, uh, younger generation of people that are looking to really change the game in Vancouver? Uh, the short answer is yes. The more, <laughs> yeah, we, we do view ourselves as folks, you know, I'm fairly politically experienced working behind the scenes and, you know, I was a, <laughs> I was a sacrificial lamb and I, you know, I've been, uh, been around, uh, long enough and politically experienced, even though I'm in my late thirties, I've, you know, I've been around enough that, um, you know, I've seen politics from all sides and I, I can tell you this is that, um, I think there is a, a median age of people out there that are, you know, in my age and we're in the, I'm in my late thirties and, you mentioned Adrian Crook and, and, um, you know, he's joined with me in this endeavor and we're all, you know, sort of in and around the same age and we're all looking at sort of the politics as usual, the, the party politics, the, you know, constant flag waving and, and sort of, you know, value statements. And we're looking at it seeing as this, well, it's not getting us anywhere. And, you know, I've been involved with it myself, as I, as I said earlier, and, and, you know, you feel disappointed that you're fighting for something and you're going, well, am I, Am I just campaigning to win? Is that, is that all I'm really doing? And, you know, there's a lot of folks that are looking at uh, politics and saying, well, what's, what's different? What's better? What can we do um, uh, to, to bring people together and uh, say, well, you know, we're you know, trying to get people that are truly passionate about the issues, that really stand for something, who are really willing to stand up and believe in something, and that they're not just running to just get elected as some sort of career or job, but they fundamentally have views on issues, they're passionate about it, and they have good ideas to get there and get solutions. And uh, so I'm part of the team that we've been building, and uh, there is a lot of angry people out there, and I think that politics is as usual, has failed us. We we we, we get, um, you know, we we get told that we're supposed to fall in love with these politicians and you know vote for them and all of our dreams will come true. But at the end of the day, um, you know, career politicians and um, playing to polling and playing the margins and governing by press release, which is what we've had a lot of over the last ten years, it's not serving us well. So. What's next is something really exciting, and I think uh, we're on the vanguard of that, and, and I'm excited to see where it goes. So, Hector, what is at stake in the upcoming election? Well, I often say to people, 
in a rhetorical question is, tell me that the city of Vancouver is not at a crossroads. Convince me that we're not at a crossroads. Convince me that we are not facing a decision is where they're going to double down on over the last 10 years of taking incremental approaches towards crises like the homeless crisis or over, overdose crisis, but most importantly, the, the housing crisis where you know, we have 9,000 in this last like five years, 9,000 less children enrolled in our schools because families can't afford to live in the city. We have had a 30% increase in homelessness. We have had uh, umpteen seniors leave our community to uh, move into senior facilities that we won't build because we won't allow something higher than a three-story building. So there's something fundamentally broken, and uh, that's why we've said, let's fix Vancouver, let's fix housing, let's fix our political broken dissonance and culture. Uh, let's bring people together and take good ideas and just get the job done. And uh, I think that we cannot wait. And I, I know everybody hears every election is, is important, and I get tired of hearing that cliche as well. Um, but one cannot tell me that in 2018, Vancouver is not at a crossroads. And we are either going to go further into the ditch or we are going to um, really come into our own, stop uh, the self-inflicted um, crisis on ourselves and really face the fact that we are a bold Asia-Pacific facing city that's going to be welcoming, that's going to be youth-focused, that's going to be jobs-focused, that's going to be uh, you know, a bastion of positive energy and hopeful optimism and that we are going to say yes and that we are going to lean in, get the job done, and build the housing that we need to attract the jobs that we need, to attract the families that we need, and to build the city that we all want and dream of. Hector, can you speak a little bit more about where current house, housing policy has failed? And specifically that the demand side, like we've seen so much uh, focused on, on the demand side, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a long history and, you know, there's been so many different phases of this. I was reading something just recently about how, you know, the West End, which is, of course, downtown Vancouver, near English Bay, you know, it's really high density, one of the most high density areas of the city of Vancouver. Today, you, you know, very, very hot place to live. Everybody wants to be there. Everybody talks really positively about it. It's got trees and parks and, you know, wonderful amenities and, you know, a real mixture of eclectic buildings and a wonderful life and culture. But over the last 40 years, it has been demonized at various points as what not to do in other parts of the city. And it's a bit ironic because uh, we have had basically this approach where we've we've put all the density, we've put all the density uh, into a finite square, a few square miles. And this has really hurt us because we've keep on dividing the same few square meters and doubling the price and divide the square meter and double the price. But 75% of the city has remained single family detached home. And so we've never addressed this. And now some folks have felt that this is something that we must protect. And they use the word character. They're very concerned about the culture and they'll throw out words like heritage. But in truth, you know, the city of Vancouver's current plan, uh, if there is one cohesive plan or the, the, I guess the original infrastructure for the plan was written in the late thirties um, by a man named Harlan Bartholomew and in conjunction with uh, the former mayor of Marple and uh, um, later an MLA in Vancouver. And he was also a Vancouver city councilor. His name was James Payton. And James Payton is an interesting character. And so is Harlan Bartholomew is that they were racial segregationists. This is a weird bent, but this is Vancouver has a long history with this kind of stuff. Sure. And their whole concept was that keep all the density, which they felt was sort of, um, consistent with immigration specifically from Asia, keep all the density on the east side of the city. And then basically the west side of the city has to be landlocked into this uh, concept of single family detached home lots. And that's what we've been left with. So, if, you know, obviously we grew out, grew that sort of idea of racial segregationism. And, and we, uh, we have a very multi-ethnic city and, you know, different pocket communities uh, propped up. But we are left with this sort of concept of exclusionary zoning. And that's the bones that we're working with. And so today it's excluding middle-class families where you have on the west side of the city about a $5.5 million median sale price for a single-family detached home. And on the east side, you're looking at about somewhere about three and a half. So we've jumped the shark in terms of middle-class families being able to afford a 33 by 60 single-family detached lot. It's just, you know, the dirt has gotten so expensive. We just can't do it. So what we put on that dirt is, becomes more important. So it's going to be, 
Is it missing middle stuff like row homes, townhomes, mid-rise apartment buildings, duplexes? Or is it higher density and pocket areas? But we've never really had that discussion in a cohesive manner. We've done some area plans. We've, we've talked about things in a piecemeal way. When we integrate a plan, we do it in a very tepid fashion. We don't pre-zone the area. And therefore, there is still this uh, extraordinarily long period of time to get permits and approvals uh, to build any five-year uh, from application to turnkey process to get a multi-residential building built in Vancouver in 2018. So this um, slow response, um, unfocused, and uh, quite frankly, um, exclusionary, uh, it's, it's been deliberately exclusionary, and some folks have heard a lot of this nimbyism uh, uh, and, and, you know, drumbeat of, of culture, uh, cultural protections, and, and then the truth is, is that uh, none of it has any relevance. The fact is, is that the city's doubled in size. We've never really built middle-class housing, and we have kept on kicking ourselves in the shins uh, by, um, you know, slowing down and metering the ability to get housing product on the market. That has ramped up speculation, and that has ramped up housing costs, and that has kept families out of the city. And of course, politicians, you know, not willing to face all of what I've just said, they've just, you know, played footsie with the fact that, you know, it's easy to blame, quote unquote, foreigners or, you know, blame uh, Chinese buyers. And, uh, you know, that makes a better soundbite. It's fast, it's simple, it's easy to say, but it doesn't make it true. So, so that's super interesting, Hector. This makes me think of, of the 105 Kiefer project from last year in Chinatown. Uh, yeah. One of the more contentious projects uh, of last year and of the last couple years for sure. And that became hyper-politicized in my mind. And we talked to some people that were for the project. We talked to some people who were against that project. How would yeah. you like to see the politics around redevelopment change, kind of thinking about projects like 105 Kiefer? Well, a, a consistent theme and um, something I've noticed since being elected I always joke around people, you know, when you run in opposition and as an MPA member running for council last year, you know, you are running in opposition to Vision Vancouver. And, uh, you know, there's an old trope in politics is that when you're running in opposition, you know, City Hall's a mess, the Capitol, the Washington's a mess, Ottawa's a mess, everything's always a mess. And then you get in there and you realize it really is a mess. Like it's just, it's just broken. It's, it's, it's amazing. And people don't, uh, and when I say people, is that the city does a very poor job of talking to communities. There's exchanges of letters, there's exchanges of emails, there's these very prescriptive public consultations that they do, which are quite, you know, they're built really about outcomes, not, so, uh, you know, a pre-scripted outcome, not so much about genuine consultation. And what happens is, is there's this tension that builds up because people are not really feeling that they're heard and they lash out and they're angry and they should be. And that's what happened at 105 Kiefer is I think that um, this lack of a citywide plan in the city of Vancouver, this lack of um, meaningful consultation and intelligent conversation and, and genuine consultation with people has created this very antagonistic uh, relationship uh, amongst Vancouverites uh, in various communities uh, in the four corners of the city. I mean, the tensions that we've seen in Chinatown or the tensions that we've seen in Grandview Woodlands and Shaughnessy to Point Grey to... Um, you know, west side. So there are these these tensions are there because their city has not laid out a clear path for Vancouver's future in the 21st century for middle class people, and they feel that they're being left behind because you know density has become a uh, you know a dirty word in Vancouver because you know all the uh, the city really allows you to do is build luxury condos and luxury homes, and so people see density when they hear density and they hear of development, that's all they think of is luxury homes and luxury condos, and that doesn't fit them. They can't afford that. And so um, they're angry, they're frustrated, they're not heard. And, uh, you know, and the city has uh, repeatedly missed every opportunity to meaningfully engage people, bring them to the table, negotiate, you know, a, a, a real cognitive plan forward. And uh, instead, every building, like 105 Kiefer, ends up becoming this crucible which all these tensions and all these failures become... Right. Uh, dumped onto, and and that one building has to solve everything, and it just can't. So we need a citywide plan. We need really meaningful consultation, and um, you know that's something that we've we've been talking about since last year, and it's a big part of our our approach on this. Okay, that, that's super interesting. So so maybe speaking a little bit more about 
uh, what you've spoke about, spoken about before, the need for blanket rezoning. In your opinion, which areas are, are ripe for redevelopment and, and what does that redevelopment look like, uh, thinking about the missing middle here? Right. Well, we have a major North American city that we live in here, 630,000 people. It's part of a metro region of almost two million or over 2 million people. And we are the only major city in North America without a citywide plan. And so when we look across the city, we see um, uh, plans on top of plans. And, you know, we, we had a briefing late last year from planning staff that uh, laid out in a chart this, it, it looked like just this, you know, tie-dyed t-shirt of all these plans and spectrums of <laughs> plans on top of plans. And Sounds complicated. Each other. It, it's extraordinarily complicated and it's ridiculous. And, and what it all adds up to is that when you try to do anything, uh, you're looking at a very long period of time. But fundamentally, everybody reverts back to the simple things that are allowed in that. They have um, allowed really only density along major corridors and downtown, so that's where you're seeing it. So obviously, and because that area is so limited, speculative dollars have gone into those areas and ramped up land costs and, um, and thus housing costs. Uh, and the rest of the city has been um, allows for some development, but very slowly. What we're uh, saying is is that across the city, if we bring in and we amalgamate all these plans together, we create one create cohesive plan that allows planning staff to get you through the process quicker. If we lean in with you and you know the planning and permit department and the building inspectors are partners with you in building housing rather than you know sort of like being narcs or whatever, most people feel it is quite an antagonistic relationship between the, the city and them as builders. Uh, we need to fix that. And uh, and we're looking at areas across the city, the four corners of the city, uh, as areas that can absorb and should absorb uh, more housing. And, you know, I brought something forward that um, opened people's eyes to this uh, not long after being elected in Northwest Point Grey, which is right up against uh, Pacific Sphere Park and the endowment lands at UBC. It's uh, north of West Forth and uh, west of Alma. And uh, or Blanca rally rather, and it's this unique corner of the city. It's the size of the thumbnail on the map of the city of Vancouver. But um, the lots are mandated to be 150 feet wide, so they're basically mandated one acre lots essentially. It's about 112 or 113 lots on 150 acres, and so these are large lots mandated to be so. You can't subdivide them. Uh, it's mandated mansions on the edge of UBC. And so for folks listening, obviously, they've heard about the SkyTrain line uh, that we're building out to UBC. Supposedly, anyways, uh, currently it's, it's, it's going to stop at our views. Um, we're talking about road pricing at the metro level. We're you know, very concerned about how full the buses are, how congested our roads are. And the reason why they're congested and why we need to invest in public transit is because people need to cut through the whole city to get where they're going because if they live very far away from where they're going. We don't build housing near UBC, for example. Okay, so what we said was is in that area of mandated mansions in that pocket, which is largely fallow, there's about, uh, uh, by census data, less than 150 people that live on 150 acres. And what we said was is that what if we allowed six-story rental only and or seniors housing on that land? Uh, gap in seniors housing in that part of the city. And uh, it was overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly successfully uh, successful in terms of um, opening people's eyes to potential solutions, a really positive response. Um, you know, obviously a bit controversial, but, you know, people saw that like in the 21st century, do we need these big mandated mansions lots uh, protected in the way that they're protected? Or do we need a flexibility of land use? Now, unfortunately, vision sort of rolled it into, you know, some bigger plan and you know basically tried to kill it but you know the the point was is that we sparked a conversation where people saw so on 150 acres with only six stories we were able to prove that you could build somewhere between 10 and 15,000 new units affordable accessible housing for people that needed needed it right on the edge of UBC where they work or go to school or you know for seniors who live in those communities who cannot live in a single family detached home anymore because of physical or cognitive issues as they age and they need seniors housing and we just don't provide it for them. So um, it's a small area. It was a little area of change, but it would have a huge impact. And it demonstrated that, you know, we could find four or five or six other pockets like that throughout the city and have a really dramatic impact on the fact that there is effectively uh, 
zero rental available in the city of Vancouver at any one time. And that's why people get into abusive agreements. They have crazy landlords. They get away with crazy stuff because they will accept it because they have no choice. Um, and they are paying way too much, way too much to live in the city of Vancouver. So uh, we need to address uh, and, and uh, the, the shortage of, of rental housing in the city of Vancouver in the immediate future in order to stabilize the market. It's a big piece. And uh, we proved that any part of the city can uh, help shoulder that load and should. Hector, we we kind of talked about it earlier a little bit, but we I wanted to kind of unpack the idea of the the blame game that's been happening in Vancouver, um, mostly related right. to foreign buyers. What are your thoughts on right. on policies surrounding foreign buyers, and uh, is it good policy for the city overall and for the future of the city? You know, I think for a lot of people it feels good. I think for a lot of people it it certainly appeals to um, you know a quick fix. And, you know, clarity. Uh, and, you know, there's not much clarity out there. And a lot of the issues that we're facing are quite complicated. The truth is, is that we live in a time of historically low interest rates. We've had um, G7 nations aggressively pushing home ownership on, on their populations uh, in a positive way. I mean, there's, there's a valid reason for it. It's, it's, it but they was been a big part of their economic agendas for better part of 25 years. And uh, we've seen the benefits of that. People are, you know, they have more wealth and they're better set up for their future because of the equity in their home. But it's also driven a demand for uh, municipalities to change their policies. And their policies haven't really changed much. They, um, not just Vancouver, but most municipalities, particularly in British Columbia, are, are very slow to react. And they take a long time to get anything done. And, you know, so we, you know, we have senior levels of government driving this demand saying, you know, we want to get people, uh, you know, with some assets and, you know, we want to, to drive uh, consumption in the economy and we want construction to go on and, you know, create jobs and, um, and, and, and create, you know, value chain uh, for, for products that can be built and developed right here and, uh, you know, BC wood product and all the rest of it. And that's, that's the drive where homeownership uh, programs started with. Uh, today, um, you know, part of that, uh, uh, you know, was immigration policy as well. But but today, now we're left with the situation where, you know, we've we've been we've gotten to this point now where housing has become uh, home ownership rather has become an expectation for a lot of people, and uh, because of the slow ability of municipalities, uh, or I should say, the slow response of municipalities to uh, deal ably with this issue, has driven up the cost. And uh, unfortunately, it's now outpaced income by a long shot. So we, uh, we're we looking for quick fixes. The truth is, um, uh, you know, there's no way to shake it down. But this, this for simple numbers, for so people understand the situation that we're in, is that at any one time in the city of Vancouver, about a 1,000 people are looking for a home. Only about 100 homes are available. And we're blaming, let's say, at the high side of the most credible numbers I've seen, 15 out of one of those 100 are, quote-unquote, foreign buyers. So you can address the 15. You can tax them. You can generate revenue from them. Uh, you can prevent them from buying altogether. But you are not really addressing the fact that you've shorted the market that 900. You're not addressing the fact that um, we are a open, inclusive society that uh, relies on trade uh, and and that you know this type of inbound investment um, while there is you know some fraud out there and there's you know there's there's certainly bad actors out there and you know there's bad behavior by some builders that I guess are you know more focused on the on the quick sell into China and and you know there there should be measures to uh, meter that or tax that more appropriately or stop it altogether and, and don't get me wrong but that I'm saying that uh, you shouldn't address that but you should also shouldn't let it uh, dilute us. Uh, we, we shouldn't be deluded into thinking that any one of those solutions is going to make housing more affordable, either in the rental or the uh, purchase market. Um, it, it is just not true. And so people need to accept that, that we need to uh, look at our city slightly differently. Um, we need to embrace the fact that um, we can uh, add in a common sense way uh, the types of housing that we need. We can add it in the volume that we need, and we can add it at the speed that we need. And when we achieve those three pieces of the equation, then we'll get to affordability. But 
you know, focusing on uh, blaming one ethnicity or one source country of funds, um, you know, it, it's, it's, I get it. It makes for, for, for good media stories and it gets clicks and, it, you know, gets a bunch of retweets and, you know, gets a bunch of like avatar Twitter accounts talking about it. But the reality is, is that, um, the, the truth is the policy is, is, um, is broken in a lot of different ways. It takes two years to get a building permit in the city of Vancouver. I think that could probably be your problem. I mean, I think, you know, don't you remember that uh, 15 years ago, you know, I bought my first house somewhere around 2003. Uh, we, we all were watching home and garden television. We all were watching the, the design guy or flip this house show or whatever. And they were all telling us, you know, if you just, if you renovate the kitchen in the bathroom, you'll add 25% of the house to the value of the home. And, you know, you do some yard work and a little bit of paint and some new flooring and, you know, you can flip this house and, you know, everybody started doing that. And so we started making housing more expensive but not making more of it. And then, you know, the economics got to the point where, well, it made more sense to tear down the house, tear down the house completely, throw that house away and build another house, another single family detached home. So we built a bigger house, more bedrooms, more square footage, footage, but not more housing, not more families are housed, just one more house uh, and a bigger uh, family home. And But it made this housing that less uh, attainable. And so we've gone down this path where we've been making housing more and more and more expensive, but never really building more of it. And that is a big problem. Interest rates, basically really low. And you know, the second rule of real estate is when interest rates are low, prices are high and vice versa. So yes, in the 80s, house was relatively cheap according to your income, but you were paying 21% income or uh, interest rather. So, you know, I don't, I understand, I don't expect the, you know, people out on the street to necessarily understand all those things, but that's what the, the point here is, is that we need to be electing people that do understand these things, the people that do understand the history of it, that people that do understand the economics of this, the people that are willing to get the job done. I want somebody, um, you know, I like, well, I like my politicians, like I like my physicians. I want them treating the disease, not the symptoms. And foreign buyers and speculation is a symptom. It's not the disease. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. It, well, well framed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think on, on your like website, uh, on your website, you use the language Donald Trump style walls. Um, I, I just, how, how are we in Vancouver? Like it, we, we, we do have a reputation as a, a welcoming and caring global city. Are we tarnishing that reputation, you think, with these policies? You know, Vancouver's had an ugly history. We you know, we're, we're <laughs> when it comes to racism, there's no two ways about it. I mean, you can't shy away from it. And, you know, it's our job to talk about it. You can't, you can't redeem yourself and you can't reconcile these things and move forward until you're willing to accept it. And the very first newspaper ever published in the city of Vancouver, which is actually the newspaper was published two years before the incorporation of the city of Vancouver, the headline was, quote unquote, what to do about the Chinese question. The truth is, is that in the city of Vancouver, we've always had a lot of folks from China and a lot of folks from India and a lot of folks from Europe here. And it's been a great melting pot. And for the most part, it works real well. But there is an ugly history. And we just apologized uh, two weeks ago to Chinese uh, Vancouverites uh, for the city's role in racist policies and exclusionary policies. For those listening, um, they may not know that you know there's still homes in China City uh, that have a covenant that say no Oriental may own this home. I actually have a friend uh, who is a fourth-generation Canadian. His family paid the, the head tax to come to Canada, which was a, a special tax that just Chinese people had to pay as a way of trying to keep them out. And uh, his family came. Uh, he grew up above uh, a store on Hastings Street. He's the first guy in his family to have any money. He's actually a builder today. He started doing home renovations, and now he builds uh, a little bit. He owns this stunning home in Shaughnessy, and he, the home he owns has a covenant on it that says that he ethnically is not allowed to own that home. So we have this history, and I talked a bit about James Payton and Harlan Bartholomew, and, and James Payton was actually um, the basically the grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan here in Vancouver. There's a famous picture of his home, which is now, um, um, I believe it's uh, the Canuck House, uh, where uh, there's a Klan meeting in the, in the parlor there. And uh, so, you know, these guys... Uh, they um, they built a city that was, you know, basically white people were supposed to be on the west side and everybody else was supposed to be on the east side. And uh, it was a very us versus them uh, attitude for a long time. And today, none of that reflects our values. 
as a city today. But it's still there, it's still underlying. There's still people that, you know, while they're not being as brazen and they're using different coded language um, to talk about, um, you know, uh, limiting immigration and, you know, they, they you know, I, I, I always point out to people that, you know, the Guinness family, uh, the Guinness beer uh, fortune, you know, they own big chunks of Vancouver, a lot of property in Vancouver. They own basically half of West Vancouver. Uh, the uh, The Duke of Westminster, was just here recently. He owns considerable holdings here in Vancouver. When those guys come here, we celebrate them and they say, we say, oh, wow, these guys are investing in Vancouver. But if Mr. Wong, Mr. Sheng said that makes an investment, they're foreign buyers and there's something dirty about what they're doing. You see? So we have to speak differently. We have to call it out when we see it. And we have to say, look, we we actually need foreign capital and, and outside money to invest in Vancouver. It's a good thing. Now we want them to be investing in the right things and we don't want you know people just parking money in a house and leaving it empty but these myths have built up that there is that that somehow is the majority of the market and not just you know an element of the market but the you know the, the small part of the market but the truth is is that foreign ownership is in 2017 was about 3.3 billion dollars it's about for the purchases that they made but in the city of Vancouver alone, just the city of Vancouver alone, there is $355 billion of mortgage-free equity in the city of Vancouver sloshing around out there. So when there is a, a third of a trillion dollars in cash being leveraged to buy other properties, renovate, so on, that that is your, your challenge within your market. You've got a lot of equity out there. You've got a lot of cash moving around out there. And it's swamping whatever foreign stuff is. We have a big domestic consumption drive. Everybody across Canada wants to live in Vancouver. It's a great place to live, work, and play. We're all here from somewhere else. I came from Saskatchewan. <laughs> we, we all came from somewhere else uh, because this is the best place to be. But the truth is, is that we're not going to be able to build a wall at Boundary Road or mine English Bay to prevent people from coming in here. And we don't want to. Cities either grow or they die. There is no in-between. And we are on the edge of the Asia-Pacific. We're this amazing place for business, commerce, and living. And you know what? It's not going to be cheap as Saskatoon, where I'm from, uh, and it will always be more expensive to live here, for sure. But we can build middle-class attainable housing here in the city of Vancouver because we've never even really bothered to try. What we do right now is we tear down a you know, $2 million home and build a $5 million home. What we do is then tear, build a home and then build a $7 million home. What we do is we pick one street to add a little bit of density and we build a bunch of two and $3 million condos that nobody can afford either. So the fact of the matter is we have to dilute land costs by adding density in pocket areas. We have to do it in an intelligent, an intelligent and planned way, not in a piecemeal way like we're doing now because that just fuels speculation, fuels anxiety, fuels the anger. But we need to have a real plan. We need to be open, welcomingly, welcoming and inclusive, not losing our values in this, and say yes to people. And say yes to people because they, someone said yes to us once. My father came here in 1961 looking to make a better life because you know he grew up as a Catholic in a Protestant country and you know, basically had to live in the poor part of town and had limited job prospects. So he came here to make a better life, and I assume your parents or grandparents did, and a lot of people listening here either came here themselves or you know uh, an immediate relative did. So we all came here to make a better life, and who are we to tell someone else not for you? It's not our values. It's not who we are. It's not what we are as Canadians or Vancouverites. And we need to put all that stuff aside and just get the job done. So maybe we'll leave it there, Hector. That's uh, yeah, that's great. But um, can can you stick around for a segment we have called the Five Wire? For sure. Excellent. Okay. So, what is your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? My favorite neighborhood in Vancouver, I have to say, well, we live on the edge of it, the West End. I love the West End. I think it's such a great example um, of what's possible. Uh, you know, you have 1890s heritage homes right next to sort of like, you know, a four-story walk-up next to, a, you know, a mid-century sort of 20-story building and then new buildings and, you know, and then there's some co-ops and townhomes. And it's really eclectic, but there's little parks, lots of trees, lots of, lots of families, lots of seniors, and it's just... It's just a really beautiful space, and it, you know it's urban, but it doesn't feel urban. Um, and so it's it's uh, it's really wonderful. I'm uh, I, I love the West End. 
Fantastic. Uh, favorite bar or restaurant, Hector? Oh man, that's a that's a tough one. We go way too much and we have way too many favorites. Uh, <laughs> typical Vancouver. <laughs> You typical Vancouver. Yeah, we, we all stop cooking, yeah. uh, especially you know. I live downtown. I go to go to too many places, but um, yeah, probably a favorite is uh, when one that we go to a lot is this uh, Persian place on uh, Davy, and um, uh, oh my god, why am I blanking on the name of it now? Davy and Butte. It's right there. You know what I'm talking about. Wait, Dave, you know Davy and Butte. I used to live right there. I'm trying to think of the. You know what I'm talking about? The, the Persian place. Oh, Casbah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. so, yeah, we, we, we go there way too much. Uh, so, you know, that's a, that's a spot for us. Great. Uh, downtown Penthouse or Westside Mansion? <laughs> Definitely, uh, I, 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 I don't want to do the yard work, and I don't want to pay someone to do the yard work. Definitely with the condo. Definitely with the, uh, the Penthouse. I, I thought you were going to say Westside Mansion and then rezone it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, as homeowners we don't get to rezone it, but as a legislator, right. that's a whole other, uh, <laughs> whole other thing. So, where's the first place you bring somebody from out of town? You know, what? that's a good one. Um, well, you know, when my uh, family comes to visit me, we because we live downtown, I usually kind of uh, walk them around uh, Robson and downtown and Alberni, and you know, there's just so many great restaurants. We take them to English Bay. Uh, Denman, Davy. Um, I think when you walk those streets, you can see, you know, a real eclectic life of Vancouver. And yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to be. And obviously, you have to take them to Stanley Park. Yeah, that's a must do. And uh, the Art Gallery. That's, a, that's another must do. Those are, those are those are the big ones for me. Great. And Hector, uh, what what purchase have you made in the last year or so under five hundred dollars that has been life changing? So it could be a gadget, a book, an app. Wow, this is this. The, it stumps everybody. So <laughs> you're not alone if, if if you're having a tough time is, coming. You know, the funny thing is, is um, yeah, I would say that it, it's been nothing really that I've purchased per se, but I think that you know, um, in since being involved in politics, it's as anybody knows, is you know, it's hard. Every that's the first thing that everybody says, right? It's really hard. And you kind of have a choice of thinking like eat you alive and you can take a lot of this stuff personally. But I think the thing that I've, I've, um, that's really changed, uh, my wife and I were talking about this the other day is that we've just become really refocused on our family and really focused on, um, trying to rise above all the noise. And I know that it's, it's not a purchase and it's not a thing, but all I can say is that, um, been a really fascinating journey for me over this last year. I am the first person to tell you that it is amazing that I'm in this position. I did not plan this, wasn't looking to do it, um, you know, and you know, so God opened a door and I walked through it and, and we've gone on this journey. But, um, you know, we've just tried to be really focused on leaving everything on the table in this whole experience and just saying, stepping back and just being like, you know, this isn't just about winning. This is, in the, this is about how we carry ourselves and this is how we do things. And so it's been a really interesting journey. And I've, I feel like I've grown a lot as a person over the last several months. And uh, this, this whole experience has forced me to do that. That's, that's fa- fantastic. Uh, so, Hector, la- last question maybe. Um, will you come back and talk to us when you're mayor of Vancouver? Because this uh, current guy won't, when, won't return our calls. <laughs> whenever you want. Whenever you want. That's, that's uh, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a hallmark of what we're trying to do is, um, and even my own campaign manager uh, worked very closely with the current uh, mayor at first and uh, had the same experience, you know, phone calls not getting returned. And a commitment that, you know, um, Mike and I, and my wife and I, and, and, and his wife, and we all made to each other. We kind of started, the, the whole thing started with basically two couples doing this whole thing. And uh, team's big now, but it, it, it was just, it, it was always about how are we going to carry ourselves? 75% of what we talk about is our character in this and why we're doing what we're doing. And so um, part of that is is never forgetting where you came from. Part of the big part of that is is always having the conversation and I'm happy anytime to uh, have these kind of conversations and I welcome them. And, um, and I think we need a whole lot more of it because right now I feel that we live in this time where we're really not listening to each other. We're really not um, 
giving each other enough respect as people of each other's ideas. And uh, we just need to, you know, get off Twitter and Facebook and, you know, stop just reading the news and, you know, actually talk to people and have conversations like this. So, um, you know, I hope people will continue to listen and engage and, and be active and involved. But we've got to really uh, humanize this conversation and we've got to break this cycle. Well, a lot of wisdom there for sure, Hector. So how can listeners find out more about your plans and more about you more generally? Absolutely. You can go to HectorBremner.com and it's H-E-C-T-O-R-B-R-E, M as in Michael, N as in Nancy, E-R.com. And uh, we've got videos and uh, there's a whole... Uh, section on policy, not just housing, of course, but uh, obviously housing is at the center of it. And uh, you can see more there and you can sign up if you're interested in getting involved with us. And if you feel that um, you know you have ideas that you think that we should hear, you can share them with us there. And um, if you're interested in coming out in events, uh, you can sign up to uh, get us on, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all the rest of it. If, even though I just said, you know, we need to get off those things, but <laughs> we, we are, we are there. We are there. Um, and, um, but certainly uh, we're going to be doing a lot of events and we have been doing a lot of events. So, uh, uh, if you're listening to this, uh, check us out and, and come out to one of the events. I'm happy to meet you in person. And, um, you know, let's talk, let's do this. Great. And I'll, I'll just say that your site is, is excellent. There's a ton of great ideas there. So listeners, if you're oh, interested, you. go check out the site for sure. sure. Yeah, we're really, we're really proud of the team. And uh, yeah, I'm just a real honor to have this conversation with you guys. And uh, I look forward to doing it again. Perfect. Well, have a great day. And thanks again for your time. Yeah, thanks so much, Hector. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you both. Thank you so much. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with MPA City Councilor and Mayoral Hopeful Hector Brimner. Very, very fascinating interview and uh, one of our more passionate ones. That was, I think, by far the most passionate uh, anyone's gotten on the program. And I, yeah, I kind of liked it. It was, it's amazing to hear somebody that gets so, is so engaged and is so excited about this city yeah. on the show. Thanks, thanks for letting me be the uh, awkward guy to transition into the five wire there. That was, <laughs> that, uh, was that was, that was, <laughs> you're always like, and that this was one is, of the best. Well, no, <laughs> he was building up to a crescendo. It was like Martin Luther King type speech and you cut him off. And I'm like, what's him. your favorite movie? Uh, but <laughs> more importantly, <laughs> favorite drink? Yeah, yeah. But you know what, though? You kind of, uh, it's funny because I could see you were like, you're just you're was, standing there like a deer in headlights. Should I was almost just, tearing up and you yeah. just, yeah, you grabbed <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, uh, I took the wind from... Uh, Oh, it was uh, still Hector very, sales. it was still very impressive, and and he had some great answers for the five wire. So yeah. I'm glad you brought it up. Well, anyways, we got to fix that five wire and get a better transition in there. But uh, look forward to next week when we figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe we should uh, cut to the website. Yeah, head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We got the best resources. We got tips, news. It's amazing. But Matt, what do we got? What's one? Why? Why? Why go there in the first place? Well, first of all, it's your one-stop shop for all things Vancouver real estate, and even more broadly, real estate related uh, for British Columbia and beyond. Yeah, we have research tools, specifically private client services. Matt, if you're not using private client services, you are standing still while the rest of us are power walking by. It is. It gives you listing updates, thirty-six to seventy-two hours before. M- public MLS. It gives you sold prices, days on market. It's basically realtor level information at your fingertips. If you are interested in any way in Vancouver real estate, you'll want an account. Absolutely. We also have a mobile app there. That's private client services is perfect for the desktop. We have a mobile app. What has it got? Augmented reality is what it has. Yeah, absolutely. Point your phone. So here you are. You're 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 driving your motorcycle at high speeds. <laughs> you pull out the cell phone. No. You point it at a building, and and there's all the listings in that building. Uh, it's a fantastic resource. No, we of course, if you're walking around, you want to point at a building and see if there's any listings. You think it's a nice looking building. It'll tell you what exactly is listed in that building. And that's only one of the features, right? Because it also has a map function. It's great if you're riding a sky train, For waiting sure. in a doctor's office. It's real estate on the go. Also, I should say, Matt, lots of people are using the What's My Home Worth button on our site. You get a free market evaluation, no obligation. And you know what? It's a spring market. So if you're looking to figure out how we market your home, but also just what the value is, sign up for that and we'll get in touch. 
Yeah, and if you don't want to push one of the big buttons on the site, give me a shout, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also have that nonpartisan line. Info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And uh, that's just uh, so you don't hurt Matt's feelings. Oh, stop it. All right, well, have a great week, guys. We'll see you next Wednesday. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.